Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from one of my favorite places in Brooklyn. It is Fort Greene Park. So I can remember so many years of running up these stairs that we're looking at right by the monument. And as we're sitting here, I'm watching what is an evening ritual of everyone coming to do their yoga or doing their Muay Thai right now or doing, you know, who knows what running the stairs. So I just love this park. I'm happy to be here because I also have a fellow runner. So that's also something nice about this interview. So let's get into it. She is the founder of the One Love Community Fridge Project, which is a community-based response to the long lines at food banks that began during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic in New York City. The project is a purpose-driven initiative that supports community fridges, local businesses, and farmers by addressing immediate hunger needs, minimizing food waste, and ensuring access to healthy, fresh foods. As a dynamic team player with extensive domestic and international experience, she is a hands-on leader in both corporate and entrepreneurial settings, developing and executing strategic plans, encompassing client goals, and translating them into an efficient and profitable production structure. Asmaret Berhey Lumax, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yay! Uh, I'm happy that you mentioned this stairs because I actually started my day there. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I did a 45 minute stair workout this morning. Oh wow! Oh wow! You know there are killer yeah. stairs. Yes. 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 But, yes. Um, yes. Super yes. happy to be here with you today. Wonderful. 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 So let's jump right in. So first question: Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? I was born in Asmara, Eritrea, East Africa. Uh-huh. I grew up in Stockholm, Sweden. Now I am based in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. What was the second question? What is your craft? Oh, my craft. Uh, my craft is community building. With a background initially in finance and spent, I guess, 15, 18 years in fashion, mm-hmm. uh, sourcing product development, production, and then now building a another community, a nonprofit organization. Okay. Which is one love community fridge. Nice, nice, nice. And she's also being a little bit modest because <laughs> how how we we're neighbors actually. Yeah. And so this about a month ago, yeah. I was walking from my local precinct, doing my citizen duty and, and voting in the primaries. And as I'm marking off the, the ballot, I see, oh my gosh, I know Asmaret. Oh my goodness. So as I'm leaving, I see her. And so she's recently engaging in something a little bit more community engaging as well. Tell us about that. Oh, such a, well, I was running for county committee, which mm-hmm. is basically the most basic and local mm-hmm. position within a party. And it's, it's extremely local. It's as, as local as you can get. Yeah. But I think it ties into the community building and responsive. So that's where you, that's why you saw my name on the ballot. Yes. I have no previous background in politics, but I think it ties into everything that we do, uh-huh. again, in terms of caring for our communities. Okay. Okay, nice. Nice. So we'll be looking out yes. for you on the, uh, <laughs> on the official election day ballot as Absolutely. well. And we're going to make sure that you get on that county committee so that Thank you. we're making continuous changes. You also, you're going to have to move into our, you're going to have to become very local. Uh-huh. Obviously you are because we're yeah. neighbors. Yeah. 
into our neighborhood. Yeah. Yes. We need all your, all your listeners to move to Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Let's make that happen. Okay. So let's 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 take a step back and talk yeah. about what inspired you to first of all come to the U.S. So this is where I kind of ask why the where. How did you come to be living, working, and playing? Where you currently live. So your family is Eritrean. You grew up in Stockholm. How did you make your way here to New York? I think I knew. I, oh, I didn't know New York. I think I knew on a very early age that I would move out of Stockholm, Sweden. I I grew up in a very international community. I had friends from all over, mm-hmm. and I think I grew up in Sweden, but always, you know, considered myself an African mm-hmm. foremost. Mm-hmm. And I'd already decided that, I, like, I think by like middle school that. You know, I wanted I want to live somewhere else where I'm just curious about different cultures and opportunities. I came to New York for a summer initially, well, after I graduated from high school, mm-hmm. and just completely fell in love. I think like I feel like it's a classic story. Completely fell in love with New York, and I thought it was just amazing culturally. And I never imagined actually having family here, mm. but I met my my partner, my husband, and that's why we're still here. Okay, but. New York has just been proven to be the place for where I feel the most at home and in a very interesting place where I, I think I can be more both African, more Swedish, American. And it's been a very, very interesting journey to raising raising two daughters mm. here as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can imagine. So have you lived in any other part of the city besides Brooklyn? I have. Okay. I've lived, but I've only, uh, like, I lived in Harlem. Okay. And then Brooklyn. Okay. I was actually never interested in living in Manhattan. <laughs> because, um, I think because I came here with this, with a very, like, just curious mind and wanted to discover as much as possible. Yeah. In terms of just people and sure. culture. And so that's been like, and actually even when I came back, so I lived here in New York. I lived in Harlem, moved back to Sweden met my husband, my future husband, mm-hmm. and he's the one who's like, no, we need to live in Brooklyn. And I was oh, okay. just like, what? I don't know. <laughs> and now I can't even imagine living somewhere else. Yeah, I can um, imagine. I can imagine. Here. That's so funny because I met you all, I think you weren't yet, or you had just gotten married yeah. for the first time in yeah. Ghana. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was, was the, yeah, our first trip. And that was the first time actually he went back oh. since he, he was, he, he was born in the U.S. Uh, spent his first five years in Ghana. Okay. And then came back here. Okay. And that was his first trip going back to Ghana. Oh, wow. In 20, I think it was 25 years. Ah, okay. Wow. 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 I didn't even know that. Yes, that was a big trip. Yeah, it was a big trip. And so we kicked it off with a community project. So it's it's interesting full circle. Yeah, we were another another of our guests. HN founder Nana Aysen Akiwowo. This was her first, I think that was her first HN, a a gift for the holiday. Yeah, her first health fair. So, wow. That was an amazing trip. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my first time ever going to Ghana. So, okay. It's beautiful. Okay, nice. Wow, can you believe that? That was actually, that was before kids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you have your oldest is how old now? Jesus, that must have been like, my oldest one is 14, so we're talking about close yes. to 16 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we know that you started the One Love Community Fridge Project during the pandemic. Aside from kind of just seeing those long lines, what was your inspiration and, and what motivates you 
to continue with that work? I mean, at the time I was volunteering with two other organizations that work with uh, food insecurity, addressing it in two different ways. And I think I was especially touched by one organization, the Campaign Against Hunger, and what I saw was happening in terms of the families that were coming and standing in line, and like the number of families that were showing up every week. And during that time, also a good friend of ours started one of the first community fridges in, in Harlem, and I just thought it was such a perfect, I thought it was just a genius mm-hmm. thing to, uh, mm-hmm. because it wasn't uh, something that was being invented. It was just kind of connecting a problem to a solution yeah. and using something that was already existing. Right. And I think the other thing, there was kind of like everything coming together. The other thing that was happening was during that time, the quarantine was happening. Uh, there was a lot of anxiety and I really wanted to do something where our children uh, could be engaged and be participate and feel empowered to actually address what was going on. So we set up, we have set up a fridge here in Clinton Hill and we'll go buy food and take it to the fridge. And then we have friends and families that are reaching out to say, how can we support and neighbors? And I thought the amazing thing is we saw all these fridges being set up throughout New York. And I, I thought, just thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing to see all these fridges, but I think what pivoted a little bit in our thinking was, okay, we don't have to set up too many fridges. We can, what we should do instead is let's focus on supporting any mutual aid groups or neighbors or people or that's setting up the fridges to make sure that they are long-term, that they're sustained and they're here to stay. And we also decided early on to focus on not just food, but fresh and healthy food, because I saw that was one of the challenges with many emergency relief organizations that they were providing, you know, dry goods, canned foods, it wasn't fresh, it wasn't focused on health, it was more focused on just getting food out. <laughs> and then the other thing that was important for me was like, because it's something I've thought about previously, was that a lot of volunteer work I would do, I felt like it was very segmented around either age or culture or specific, just one topic. And I really wanted to figure out how can we create multicultural, multi-generational space that also, even though you're addressing something that's about injustice and equality, also brings joys and it's just a sense of pride. So that's kind of what's been motiv- the motivation around like One Love community and the work that we're doing. Nice. So I'm curious, so you, you mentioned that you didn't necessarily install ref- the, the fridges. They were, they were often just there. And so how did you go about the logistics of planning and determining how you were going to continue to stock them and just kind of building the organization as a service organization during that time? So it's been like super organic because it's, it's like as we're growing, obviously the number one kind of determinant has been geography <laughs> or like location because we started our own neighborhood. That's where we set up the fridge. We set up another fridge as well. And then it's been about, okay, as we get more people activated and depending where they are, that will kind of kind of determine. And then the other thing determines that determines it is who our partner is and where we're getting food donations. And it's so it's been that's how we've kind of been growing the network. So I mean at this point we we we're supporting another twenty-two fridges across mainly in Brooklyn and lower Manhattan. And as we keep growing, because we're now at 100 plus volunteers, we're just going to keep expanding like geographically. 
but the other thing that we also focused on was in terms of consistency. So now, for example, we have food donations seven days a week. It's over 70 pickups per week. So that's like 10 a day. And this idea of like trying to do it consistently throughout the whole day. So you can you can give access to as many people as possible because, you know, in the mornings you might see families with children. Late in the evening, it's you know members are community members are unsheltered. So it it's it really varies who uses the fridges. Sure. So and can anyone just walk up, open the fridge, and take something out, or are they moderated at it at all? No, anyone. That's that's. I think for me, this is the genius part of it. Yeah. Is that it's literally accessible to anyone, and most of these fridges are available twenty four seven. And I think the only thing that kind of stops is, is demand is higher than the supply. So we need even more people to get sure. involved and help stock the fridges. Yeah. But otherwise, the idea is to you know make it feel like it's your fridge at home. And you basically take what you need and then you leave what you don't yeah. need. And then, and also uh, welcomes people to to also leave what they can as well and sure. share. Sure. And nothing is too small. Nothing is too big. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so if I have excess food, things that, you know, I may not get to, I can basically stroll up to a fridge, put it in, and that's it. Absolutely. Isn't that a beautiful idea? It's amazing. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Because, you know, we all, this is, encourages this idea that we all have a responsibility to our communities, but we are all in different places of life. So there's, there's, you know, there's different ways that can work for me. There's different ways that works for you. But I feel like this allows many people to participate and contribute or engage or get support rather than just really segmented to only a small specific group. You mentioned volunteer organizations and, you know, all of this, obviously, it, it sounds like a really strong volunteer effort, but it's always a question of how do you can, how do you sustain it? How do you find funding? How do you, how are you systemizing the organization so that it, it can stay and be sustainable? Yes, great question, because it's evolving. I mean, if we had this conversation a year ago, it would have looked very different for them. We're, we're constantly evolving because what we're trying to do is let's figure out where are we most supportive and where is the need so that we will always be a grassroots organization. Our goal is to create toolkits that could easily be adaptable in different cities. So our next step now, for example, is in LA. And even though our value and our mission is the same, the way we go about it in LA might be a little bit different because it just it just it's different how you move around, people get access, how you know all of that looks very different, and the goal is to keep doing that with different cities. The other part is we are now a 501c3, which initially that was not initially part of the plan because right. initially this was I was trying to do something with my family, yeah. and I, the next step now will will be to, to raise funding to be able to 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 have a, you know at least a core team but the volunteer aspect is also still important because it's important from an engagement aspect and connecting aspect because we're basically using food as the connector is because it's a true true connector is allows people to connect across cultures ages religions there's so many ways that 
food helps us connect. Yep. And one of the base tools that we're using is the community fridges. But we're also working to like, you know, we partner with schools to speak at schools and have families how to engage them. We've also moved to from just accepting donations to partner with farms as well. That we actually get donations from farms, but our goal in the future will be to actually purchase produce from farms because we want to support small farmers yeah. and urban farmers. So that's it. That's it. That's what we're working on as well. But I think the most amazing thing is that we're able to do this in a way that is not about one love and the one love team to have control. It's really just about activating, engaging people because the goal is for people to have all these hyper-local kind of communities that sustains themselves. <laughs> so that's the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of, so this is great because you are a startup not-for-profit and you have experience working in the development production all over the, the world. So how did that experience help in the formation of your organization? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I do feel like One Love is kind of a, it's a cross, it's an intersection for me, like personal, like my personal interests and passions and drive along with my professional experiences. So one of the most, I think, important thing has been like logistics. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and I, like the logistic yeah. part, because we also realize that's also one of the, the challenges why a lot, so much food in this country is being wasted has to do with logistics and also obviously laws that doesn't regulate, that allows people, right? So logistics is a big part of it and organizing and building the infrastructure around it. Right. And there's a couple of things that are important for us, flexibility and adaptability. Thank you. It's that time of the day. Um, but also like being able to stay grassroots and be connected. So those are like a couple of things that are important that we have to take account when we set up the infrastructure. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. a, a super exciting. Yeah. You, you mentioned the transition or the addition of this to your professional work. So, so if you were to now look at what your professional work is like, what percentage of it is this passion project? And then what percentage of it is the other work, which I want to get into is like, what, who, who are you in your other day job? I, <laughs> well, let me tell you this. <laughs> Initially, this was kind of an hour or two hours a day. Yeah. It's definitely more than a full-time job right now because of the scale of the work that we're doing and the intensity of it. And also because it's technically, it's a non-profit, but it's a startup. The way I position what we're like, what we see ourselves is at this crossroad between like a public and private kind of sector and profit and non-profit we can sit in between. And I think because of work experiences, professional experiences, and we've been like this idea of bridging the two worlds in a way that's beneficial for all parties. Figuring that out, but that's kind of where I see us sit. My day job was, <laughs> is, uh, you know, in fashion, but I, I honestly feel I'm, I'm definitely transitioning more into sure. to building this. But I also, we ha I have another startup that we started at the same time, right. which is the Black Beauty Club. Which might seem like it's a whole separate project, 
but it's very, very much the same because it's about access, it's about empowerment, it's about engagement. It's just with the Black Beauty Club, we look at beauty from like a cultural lens and, you know, working with beauty founders uh, in terms of on the back end as well and consumer and this idea of creating the community around that and what does that mean and networking is a big part of it. And it's kind of the same, it's just the one love, it's uh, food right. being, you know, yeah. the center of it. But kind of the goals and what drives us, me, is the same. Sure, sure, sure. So tell us a yeah. little bit more. So the genesis of a, another startup, so the yeah. Black Beauty Club. What is it? What is it? So you kind of touched on it. What is it that you all do, produce? Is it media? Is it yeah. entertainment? It's fashion? Tell us more. It's funny enough, they're both kind of byproducts of turning into main products. Okay. okay. <laughs> because the Beauty Club came about, so I, my co-founder told me she was working on a project. I was working on a project within the beauty space and we started having all these conversations. And then we, we, we one of the biggest one was like, what are the real challenges? Because especially within black beauty, the initial thing that comes to people's mind is always very surface level. Yes. It's also visual. Yes. Not models not being used and so on. But we're like, no, no. The true power is like, okay, what? how do we address ownership? Mm-hmm. And what are the issues a lot of founders encounter in terms of financing, distribution, all of that? And this was, you know, this was, a, you know, in the wake of George Floyd and BLM. And there was a lot of media attention towards it. But it, we felt that it was very superficial. Sure. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of how it came about. So what we now, and then we... We end up moving these conversations to Clubhouse at a time when everybody's home and we built a huge community there and we realized that, that the conversation we were having and also making the conversations very solution-oriented was not something that's just, we were not alone in wanting to have this. It's a huge community. And I think that's kind of where it started and now what we do today is we move those conversations outside to the real world so we have we're based, I would, I don't know, how do I describe us? Because again, I feel like everything I'm doing now, right now is very non-traditional. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, we, uh, we drive conversations and we drive solution-oriented conversations around beauty. So we are, we have uh, monthly events. The goal of that is, you know, also to get people to network, to, I guess, create access, to just create a space where people feel comfortable and safe, actually. Sure. And then we also worked, we work with different parts of the industry, like brands and so on, and address whatever challenges Sure, sure, sure. So would you say that you kind of straddle the DEI space, marketing promotion space, in terms of kind of being a, like driving solutions in terms of like shining a light on the challenge and then challenging the, the sector to actually respond in a lot of ways? I think so. And it's also about, again, creating access in different ways. When when I say access, I mean just like opening up the space because, and it's not just specific like beauty products, sure. but it's the beauty space, yes. which is also intricate sex with so many other mm-hmm. spaces. So, you know, mm-hmm. we can talk about politics of hair. We can talk mm-hmm. about importance of sleep. We can talk mm-hmm. about and figure out what it is. So, you know, diff- there's different players within each of that. Uh, and also giving, I think, many people in the community 
maybe access to specific thought leaders uh, within that space. The other thing was, I think, a showing also the multifaceted aspect of black beauty is, has been very, very important for us. That this idea of black beauty has been very singular, for uh, especially here in America, mm -hmm. and wanted to show that it's not. Mm -hmm. So that's another important thing for us within the Black Beauty Club, and that kind of informs how we organize conversations, or events. Um, yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay, cool. So let me move into my local speak question. <laughs> so we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why you've come to value it as a local speak. Mm, local. Um, you know, I just read something the other day, which it was actually on the ground. Oh. <laughs> Okay. on my block uh -huh. it says words are sometimes inadequate and it, it's like really sticks with me <laughs> and I don't know if it's like specifically tied to them but I I, I, I truly believe in action and mm -hmm. taking action and I truly believe in this idea of I mean it ties into global because the idea of how small actions many small actions can lead to big changes and I truly believe in like in doing things on a very local level mm -hmm. that then will show up on a global scale. Right. And especially when we live, we live in a very global communities. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at even within our space, we have friends from all over that are coming from different places or travel to different places, different culture. And so this idea, there's, there's a global mindset, yeah. but the change and everything that we need to fix can also happen, needs to happen actually on a very local level. Right. We can start right here in the front. People say in the backyard, but I kind of say in the front yard. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, so that kind of really stuck with me. It's funny because I've lived on that block for, for five years and I just saw it the other day and I was like, huh. Huh. So is it, it's probably new. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hope but so. I like that. Words sometimes are not enough. Is that that's yes. what it was? Inadequate. Inadequate. Yes. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. And sometimes they are inadequate. So yeah, let's act. It's a, a clear indication of action, speak louder than words. Let's talk a little bit more about where you see yourself in the next three to five years. So when you look at the, the two new endeavors that you're in and what you're doing as a mom, as a partner, where do you see yourself in the next, let's say, let's say five years? Oh. I have no idea, actually. I, I mean, that's for me. My my path has never been linear. Like I'm, I I think what's important for me is I I have an open mind and I'm curious and I I'm very motivated by this idea of continuous development. Mm -hmm. So I think in five years, I would love to see this project or one love in several different cities. I would I think that's like number one. And then what we do in the, the Black Beauty Club, because again, like you know, I mentioned that initially was a byproduct, but it's one of those things that you'd realize how much of a need and demand there is that I, I know right now that it's something that I'm going to spend time on yeah. and further like evolving it. So in five years, no. I don't know. <laughs> so let me let me put a seed in your your thoughts. So when I think about it, 
I would love to see hunger not an issue. And so I don't want to say I want to put you out of business, but I would love to see it not an issue. Yeah, I would love to say that. But also there's a reality. I mean, believe me, I'm like the most optimistic person in the world. But one, there's a reality that I don't think we're going to solve that. Not because because it has to do with finances. Uh, So that's that's the main reason. Not because there's not enough food for us, because there's actually enough food for all of us. And then I would love to see... I see what's happening with the community fridges. It's very, very important because it's not about the fridges themselves. It's more about the mindset that people mm-hmm. that that people opening up to mm-hmm. this idea of, and then also even looking at like non like nonprofit in a whole different way. This idea of like circle movement, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's the most like fundamental important thing with the fridges mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It's, yes it's Bring amazing it local. Yeah. yeah but it's an amazing tool but the idea that people are opening up their minds to that something exists freely on the street and you take something that's enough for yourself and you share with your neighbors you know yeah. and I would love to yeah. see more of that yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and I think yes. we will yes yeah um, yeah does that, does that? Yeah, 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 definitely. So, so on the on the community fridge side, the one love, we're, we want to see more one love and more engagement amongst communities with, it could even be that it's, it's beyond just the fridge, that there's like gatherings, there's just more knowledge that's shared around food and things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely, because that's, that's how I see it. Like the fridge is one thing, but once you open up your mindset to that, it kind of changes on how you look at life in general. Right. Um, right. right. Yeah. Okay. So then, in terms of black beauty. Yes. <laughs> so I'm curious about in the context of that question. So thinking about Clubhouse yes. and how that was a huge catalyst for you. First, I want to know: Is it still? And then, in the future, like looking at the next five years, do you think it's it will continue to be? Um, for us, it was a huge catalyst for us. Uh, and yes, I think it was also a perfect time because it was, I loved talking about beauty, even though we talked about it from a cultural lens in a space that wasn't visual during a time when a lot of the conversation about bl- black beauty was just very about media and model. It was very, just very about visuals. So I am super grateful to Clubhouse at the time because, and I also think it allowed or gave permission to a lot of people that might not have been felt comfortable to participate in the conversation to be a part of it and share and be vulnerable and come with ideas uh, so it was the perfect place to start it sure. but you know we also came to a point where like people want to meet yeah. <laughs> people want to see each other people want to connect so for us now the strongest point is really in yes. real, yeah, real yeah. like meeting and sure. really get people to, yeah. to connect as well but we want to keep in mind there are people that that can't be where we are. Right. And there are people that, you know, it doesn't work for them to meet in real life and figure out what, how would that look in order for them to participate. But I love what's happening within Black Beauty right now. Right, right. So in terms of brands that you that you really love to talk about that are doing great things and great stories in that space, can you can you share some of the ones that you... Black Beauty? Uh-huh. Oh God, there's so many that I really like right now. Ami Coulee is one. I'm like, I'm wearing the lip gloss. Uh, 54 Throne. We have Rose in Skincare, where I'm like obsessed with one of the sprays. 
and see what else. I mean, there's there's actually it's that's why I feel like I, I'm super excited to see what's happening because, in my mind, I see something that's happening that happened within fashion a few years ago in terms of barriers of entry lowering, just allowing for entry yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't possible before, sure. Sure, sure. and I think also shining a light on some of the challenges, which is like distribution is a huge one. I figure out, but it's still like we still have a long, long, long way to go. Yeah. But I do get excited when we have conversations with two ends, with some of the young founders. And then also, I think, when I speak to a younger generation in terms of how they look up, like things that they think is important, how they look up on themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. We have access to um, so much more information. And I think, I don't know, it's just exciting. They think they're so much more informed and they just, look at the world completely different from where the where I looked at it when I was at that age. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like they have this you know like when you went to the movies and you had the 3D glasses. It's like they have some different kind of lens yes. that they Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think the other step that I mean like, you know I feel like I've talked a lot about in terms of a lot of values and like I don't know mindsets, but there's also reality in terms of you can look at financial support I think at one point there was a lot of financial support that was happening or being like uh, driven towards black owned brands but we would like to see make sure that that continues and doesn't it wasn't just a, a flip exactly yeah 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 so okay that's that's what we're gonna we're going to indulge in and look out for the Black Beauty Club, making sure to toe the line and making sure that we don't fall off the radar for exactly. fun. Exactly. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Nice. So I like what you said about mindset, and so I have my mindset hack question. What is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? So this is one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine. Running is absolutely yes. my favorite one. <laughs> that's yes. my meditation. That's yes. my therapy. Yes. That's my, like, when I run, I have the best ideas. I uh, plan my day. Like, the physical activity makes me feel good mentally as well. Right. Like, that's that's my mindset. Like, yeah. and, and I think listening to people. I love hearing other people. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> I think for me, that's like, because it helps me expand my thinking. Sure. Yeah. Let me ask on running. So I, I know a lot of your running story, but I want you to share with the audience. How did you get into running and where has your journey taken you yeah. on the running circuit? I mean, oh, it's been amazing. It's interesting because it's such an individual sport, yes. but at the same time, it's extremely collective. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I I started I, I didn't start running until after I had uh, children, but I like I never got a friend of ours ran the New York Marathon and I saw her and I was like I can do that too, <laughs> <laughs> thinking I could just like show up. Right. But it's been uh, so it's, that was a journey, but it's been amazing because I've been with part of running groups in New York, running yourself. We had like a mom running group. We've had actually some of my like friends I like closest friends right now. We become friends through running, right. Right. <laughs> which yeah. I think it's amazing. And then for myself, I like the fact that it's a, a long-term sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't yeah. want to be cliche, but you know, life is <laughs> life is a marathon. <laughs> and I guess you being able to see uh, improvement. Um, I, 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 yeah, for me, for me, also can go back to like I things that I think is important in my life is access. 
I feel like it's a sport that's yes. accessible to many people. Right. And that's literally actually one of the reasons why I started when I was like, I was like, I don't have, I can't do the schedules. Yeah. I, I had like a, a toddler and a baby. I was like, I need to find something that I can do at the time that works for me. And that wasn't complicated and doesn't require me to buy a million like gear, you know, gear and all that. So that's how, we, and I, that's what, that's what, that's what I feel like running in some ways is a very democratic sport. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so too. And so, <laughs> except <laughs> when you think about it, yes. I wanted to ask you, what do you run in? What is your, what is your running, your running shoe of choice? Cause I'm always uh, searching for new ones. Like I'm an ASICs now. I was an ultras before this. So I'm always, because my body is constantly changing, yeah. my shoe is changing. So what are you running oh, in now? That's so interesting. I mean, I run in the Nike Pegasus right oh, okay. now. They work well. Oh, it's cool. At one point, initially I was running the ASICs. They work really well for me. Then my husband started working at Nike. So oh, okay. only Nike was in the world, allowed. But that worked really well. But what worked for me was the fly nets. I used to run a lot in the fly nets, which is super oh, light. Uh, I like light shoes. Yeah. And then, yeah, the Pegasus. I've been running the Pegasus for a few years now. Okay. And they work well for me. And I think because, probably because I'm getting older, I need a little bit more support. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. knock on wood, I actually haven't had any injuries. injuries. Yeah. I mean, I'm also running... I'm running to be able to run forever, forever and stay yeah. healthy. Yeah. You know, that's what drives me. It's really like to be able to keep running when I'm like 80. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's good. But yeah, that's how my, that's my shoe for now. Yeah. So my Pegasus story started probably when they first came out with the Pegasus and that was our trainer in college. So yeah, that's when I first, and so it's obviously evolved. You look, uh, did you run competitively? Yeah. Well, yeah, I ran track in college. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my Pegasus story. I don't no, no shade to Nike, but they're they're not my shoe anymore. No, I think it depends. I yeah. I think it depends on what your body and how your running style is, yeah. and you know, because uh, yeah, I think I I think I got stuck with Nike <laughs> <laughs> then. And it works. So yeah. don't if it's not broke, don't yeah. fix it. Yeah. But I don't. Oh. But I definitely feel like I had friends that that doesn't work for them. Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Okay, so we're. Well, I always look out for you when I'm out running, so that's one thing that we have in common. Okay, so we're getting to. We we. I feel like I do know you and who you are when you're not being the volunteer or the consultant. But I like to ask this question of everyone: Is are you a reader, a watcher, or a listener in your spare time? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? Uh Okay, I love reading. Actually, reading was probably the thing that recharged me the most before. Mm. I'm sad to say I don't read as much anymore. Mm. I th but I also think it's because I'm physically always moving. moving. Yeah. So I would love to find, out more t uh, find more time. I think where I read now is more articles. Mm -hmm. well, but I would love to get back to the book. So sure. um, like the newspaper every day. Okay. I'm an avid. So which the time? New York Times. <laughs> okay. But I also love the New Yorker and okay. um, the New Yorker and Atlantic. Yeah. yeah. So that's more like my weekend reads. Yeah. But like every day, I start the day with New York Times and I end the day with New York Times. Okay. I'm not sure they do deserve my loyalty anymore. <laughs> I feel like I'm sorry, New York Times. And then watching, I don't watch a lot of TV or movies. But when I do watch, I binge watch. Okay. So when I watch TV, I will watch a whole season. I sure. will literally watch like eight hours straight. Yeah. 
but then I can go probably months. like months, yeah. like two, three months without yeah. watching anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to do like a show all in one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. that's me. Yeah. It's and like an, I, it's like a remember the mini series back yeah. in the day, or no, maybe you yeah. You've, yeah. So it yeah, would yeah. be three days yeah, of yeah, something, yeah. and yes. you yeah. So it's kind of like yes. that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then movies now, I think, is mostly because of my. Uh, my children, I enjoy watching movies with them. Okay. So yeah. when they have movies I want to watch, we watch together. Yeah. And that, that actually used to, that used to be my guilty pleasure. What I used to do as well, because I did a lot of consulting, one of my treats would be to go to the movies by myself in the middle of the day. Oh, wow. <laughs> before yeah. kids. Right. <laughs> I was before kids. <laughs> yeah. But I enjoy that they now are in a phase where we can watch like kind of the same movies. So them. when yeah. they want to watch, we watch together. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. All right. So, Nazareth, this has yeah. been so fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I yes, exactly. So, before we sign off for today, do you have any final thoughts to share with our listeners? Uh, well, first of all, I need you all to move to Brooklyn because I need to come and vote for me. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say my final thoughts is. What kind of drives me has always been like things that I'm passionate about. And I think in every in everything you're passionate about, you know, we have different things. There's always things that you can do to kind of share with other people in your community and create positive change. So, and I, I want, again, because we live in this world that is so focused on the billions and the multi-millions and try to reach as many people at the same time all the time, I want to shine a light on the fact that small actions really matter and can have a direct impact that you have no idea of. And I think that's important to to remember and not always, always just chasing the billion dollar project. So that's that's my final words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small actions, folks. That's from the founder of the One Love Community Bridge Project. I love that. Like it is about one love. Thank you for that. All right, listeners, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with new episodes at localcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, folks, actions. So that means share, like, subscribe. Leave us a review. It helps people find great content and learn about the wonderful things that people are doing in the world. All of my local citizens are dynamic diasporans that are doing things that are great. Check out the show notes because you can see all kinds of notes on what it is that my guests are doing. And from Fort Green Park here in Brooklyn, bye for now.